Maundy Thursday, an opportunity to reflect on what Jesus did for us on that night as he made his way resolutely towards the cross. And that's what we'll be thinking about tonight. We'll be thinking about the Lord Jesus. We'll be thinking about all that he has done for us uh, on that night and the next day and on Easter Sunday. And ever since, we are so grateful for all that Jesus has done. We want to remember him with thanksgiving and praise. And that's what we'll be doing later in the service when we gather around his table. Let me invite you to stand once again. Our Bible reading is Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 23. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it would be who was going to do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Sovereign God, we thank you for this chance to be together tonight. We thank you so much, Father, for the love you've placed between us in Christ. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw us near to yourself, that you would pry open our resistant hearts, And give us grace that we might hear your word, Father. Believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated once again. Well, happy Passover. Uh, You may realize we're halfway through the Jewish festival of Passover, 
Uh, this is a Passover 5781. The Jewish calendar uh, is based traditionally uh, on the years since the world was created. So in Jewish tradition, uh, this is the year 5781, 5,781 years since God created the world. It's called Anno Mundi, uh, the year of the world, and that's the way the Jewish calendar is organized. It's the 14th, uh, or actually Passover begins on the 14th day of Nisan. That is established in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12. And the Jewish people have been celebrating the festival of Passover, also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, ever since. Customs have changed. The way they've done it has changed, sometimes very dramatically because of things going on in the world. But for centuries and millennia, God's covenant people have remembered his faithfulness over the centuries. Um, This year, uh, in 2021, by... Western Reckoning, counting the years since Jesus was born. Uh, Passover began sunset Saturday, March 27th, and it will end at sunset Sunday, April the 4th. So happy Passover to you and to those you love. You may have some Jewish friends. Uh, You may have Jewish co-workers. You may even have Jewish family who you have perhaps had the chance to talk about uh, Passover with, and I, I have. I've got some very, very dear friends who are Jewish, and I've had the opportunity to chat with them about Passover and, and their tradition. And uh, it's a beautiful time for them. It's it's one of the most important times, and even to this day, for Jewish people, it is a time of celebration. It's a time when families get together. They have seder meals, uh, beginning on that first night uh, after. Uh, Passover begins in the evening. That night they gather and they have a second Passover Seder the next night. And they have really intensive times of family fellowship and they invite friends over. And it's a really, really special time for them. And they might go to synagogue. They might go to their temple and and have a service uh, gathered there with all uh, their friends in their synagogue. It's a time of, of really intense special time for families and friends. And it includes a number of of significant prayers, and one of them uh, is called the Kadesh. It goes, Blessed are you, O Lord God, sovereign of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And that's a a prayer that is said by a male at the uh, Seder meal, thanking God for the fruit of the vine, the wine that they will share. They take traditionally four cups of wine that they share on that night, and it has become a very significant part of the uh, service. Seder actually means order of service. It's the order that they use to remember, uh, as Exodus chapter 12 says, their deliverance out of Egypt. That's what Passover is sort of commemorating that and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover is actually one day, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the next day, but they've been conflated into one And it's now often called the Feast of Passover, and it includes both. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll see in a moment that that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, But it's a time when Jewish people are specifically commanded to remember their deliverance from Egypt, uh, the time when they left in a hurry as God delivered them and they made their way towards the Promised Land. 
as they were delivered from the control of Pharaoh and the the, uh, iron hand that he was exerting towards them in Egypt. And the Passover, of course, refers to the last judgment, the last curse, uh, the plague that was delivered on Egypt and the firstborn of all those in Egypt uh, were taken in one night. The angel of death came and took the firstborn among all the Egyptians. And the Israelites were delivered by putting blood on the posts, the lentils of their homes. And when the angel of death saw this blood on the lentils of the house, that home would be spared and the firstborn in that home would, would not be taken. So it's a, it's a time rich in significance. It's a time uh, when they look back and remember some uh, very, very important events in the Bible, some very, very important events in, in their life as a people. Well, that forms the background to the passage we're going to look at tonight. Uh, we read it just a moment ago, but it would be very helpful if you would turn to the Bible uh, to Luke chapter 22. Uh, you can find it in the bulletin, but it might be helpful to look at it in the Bible if you have access to one in the pew rack in front of you, Luke chapter 22. I want to stress two important things about this passage, and it's appropriate for tonight. I think particularly in light of what Cheryl was saying earlier, that this, this passage sheds some very important light for us as Christians on why we gather tonight. Why are we among those around the world who are gathering to remember the things that happened on this night? And I want to point out a couple of things. Uh, This is going to be a little shorter than usual. We're looking at two things about this passage, two two things Luke wants us to know, and I believe two things that the Holy Spirit wants us to know because Jesus wanted us to know these things. Two things. This was a fellowship meal, and secondly, it was a Passover meal. Let's, let's think for a moment about the fellowship meal that Jesus shared on this last night before he made his way to the cross. If you look at chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. As I explained a moment ago, they've been pushed into one. It's called the Passover. Luke was writing uh, to Gentile people who didn't necessarily know the history of Passover. They didn't necessarily know the Jewish customs. And so Luke chapter 22 begins with an explanation for Gentile readers like you and me for us to understand what is the context for what is being described. It was the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 2 makes it plain, as we saw a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, that the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death. For they feared the people. So there are a couple of things going on. The religious leaders hated Jesus, and yet the crowd that had greeted Jesus coming into Jerusalem made them afraid of the crowd. So they, they had evil plans, but they didn't want to get caught by the crowd. So they're doing all this out of the sight of others. They're doing all this, as we will see in a moment, in the dark of night. They're ashamed, they're hiding, they're fearful. And so that uh, leads into the rest of chapter 22. Look down at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will, will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Just pause for a moment and, and picture this situation. Uh, Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem. There are a number of hints in this passage that Jesus knows exactly what is going on. He's not surprised. He goes down to the craziest detail. He tells them in answer to their question, how can we prepare for the Passover when we're, we're here in Jerusalem? We don't have anywhere to go. How do, where do we go? He tells them not only to go and get a place, but he says, you'll meet this person. He will say this to you. He will do this. You'll tell him that, and he will do this, and we'll find a place, and it's a room furnished in an upper floor. That's where we will have the Passover together. Luke is going to great pains to underscore the fact Jesus knows what is going on. It's, it's as though he's given particular awareness Perhaps he's just really uh, attuned to what's going on around him. Probably, as the second person of the Trinity, God is giving him special awareness, supernatural awareness, of how things are going to unfold. Either way, whether it's his humanity or his divinity, Luke records it. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. And so he describes it. And what's at the middle of this request? At the middle of this request, on the last night of his earthly life, was his desire to be with his disciples. Chapter 22, verses 7 to 8 say that. Verse 11 say that. And flip over to, to the next page, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have earnestly desired to eat with you, to be here with you. Jesus had this intense, earnest desire to be with his friends with the apostles, those who had been walking with him through his earthly ministry. He felt this earnest desire to be there. He earnestly wanted, he earnestly desired to eat this meal with them. You know, one of the realities of the Christian life is fellowship. Our desire to be with one another. You know, one of the things the Holy Spirit does in a church is the Holy Spirit comes among us and supernaturally knits us together. He knits us together. He knits us together in Christ. The church isn't just a club for people with similar interests or backgrounds. In fact, if you look around our little church, you'll see a wide variety of backgrounds. Uh, James sitting on the back row. I met James a couple of Sundays ago. James, would you wave? This is James. Uh, James is from India. James came to America a long time ago, but he's from India. And 
Uh, his background and my background in some ways could hardly be more different. But the other day when we shared coffee together and talked, um, we both felt a powerful bond that's bigger than the world can explain. It's, it's a bond that, again, is supernatural. It exists between Jesus' people. It knits Jesus' people together in him. And it makes us long to share fellowship with one another as together we share fellowship with Jesus. You know, one of the promises that Jesus makes to his disciples is that when two or three are gathered, guess what? He is there too. I mean, isn't isn't that an amazing thing to, to think about tonight here in Carrollton, Texas, when the world could hardly care less what we do here in this room? But just to pause and to think for a moment that Jesus is here with us. He is here with us at this very moment. He earnestly desires to be with us as he earnestly desired to be with his disciples. The angel actually told us that Jesus is Emmanuel. Back at the beginning of the Gospels, we're told that Jesus is, uh, one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He desires to be with us. He desires to be with his people. Uh, He makes reference in this passage to the covenant. The covenant of his blood, which he describes uh, in this passage. Uh, A covenant which calls to mind the Old Testament covenant. Now the covenant we share is in his blood. We're made one in his blood. His body broken for us makes us one. Makes us fellowship with one another as we fellowship with him. So I'm very glad this Monday Thursday we're getting together to be together. We're getting together to share fellowship with one another. I'm so glad Troy mentioned the mandate, the mandatum. The, the reason we call it Maundy Thursday here in, in, in the English-speaking world. What are we referring to? Well, we're referring to the, the new law which Jesus gives us to love one another. If you look at the Gospel of John, you will not find the story of the institution of the Lord's Supper. John, which in some ways is the most sacramental of all the Gospels, doesn't actually mention the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which we're remembering tonight as we look at Luke 22. John doesn't mention it. I read one commentator today to say the the reason John didn't mention it was not because it was unimportant. It was because everyone knew it. He, He was writing at a time a bit later, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written their Gospels, John was writing a little later, and he didn't need to persuade them on how important it is for Christians to break bread together and share fellowship together. We didn't need to be reminded of that. But what Christians did need to understand is something else Jesus did that John wrote down. And it said on the night before he died, not only did Jesus share a fellowship meal with his disciples, He also knelt down and washed their feet. What a remarkable thing to do. I mean, in his culture especially, 
they wore sandals to walk meant you were going through dust and mud and, and all the craziness of, of living in a place, walking in a place where there were millions of people. They estimate that at Passover time in Jerusalem, there might be as many as a million plus people. Imagine the filth and the floors and the, gra- and the grounds and the, and the walkways and the roads. It was in that environment where Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. What an amazing thing. What a, what a reminder of what it is to fellowship with others in Christ's name. To serve one another. To love one another. Even though we're different. Even though we come from different places. Even though we've all made mistakes. And even though, bear in mind, Judas was there in the crowd. That's, that's a remarkable thing to remember. Judas was there in the room. And he, yet Jesus knelt down. And washed his feet. There's no indication that Judas was accepted. He was E X C E P T E D. He no indication that Jesus didn't wash his feet as well as the others. And he knew it. He actually says, "I know that the man who will betray me is here now." But that did not stop Jesus from showing, in this dramatic way, the love of God that he came to tell us about. So it's a fellowship meal. It was a time for him to be with his closest disciples. And in a moment when we gather here around this table, we'll be fellowshipping. We will be fellowshipping with one another. We'll be fellowshipping with Christ, who is here with us. In fact, it's our fellowship with him which forms the basis for our fellowship with all those who are like us in him. That fellowship is so important to Jesus, and therefore it is so important to us. May it always be so at Metrocrest. May it always be so that we remember the love we share in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may that love between us overflow to the world around us. May we be a place that shows Jesus' love, the fellowship we have with him, so that people will come to him through our witness. So it was a fellowship meal, and what a beautiful fellowship meal it was. But it was a very special kind of fellowship meal. As Luke makes plain, as Matthew and Mark make very plain, and as John makes plain, in a slightly different way, that this particular fellowship meal had close, important connections to the Passover meal. It wasn't just any meal that Jesus wanted to share with his disciples. It wasn't just any meal he was earnest, earnestly desiring to share with them. It was this, the Passover meal, the Seder. The Hebrew word is Pesach. The Greek word is Pascha. They're connected, of course. The Pascha. If you look it up in the Greek New Testament, it's the Pascha that they were here preparing to celebrate. It's again in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, there have been books and, and stacks of books and libraries of books written about the connection between what Jesus is doing here and the Passover meal. When I was in seminary, we were all taught that Jesus was celebrating a Passover Seder. 
And perhaps you've been to a Passover Seder, a Christian Passover Seder, where we walk through the different elements, the different symbols, and we're taught to understand the connection between those Old Testament images, those Old Testament symbols, and the New Testament. Now, I've been to some very powerful Seder meals for Christians where those connections are explained. And I think they're, they're appropriate. There was a, a brilliant scholar named uh, uh, Joachim Jeremiah who wrote a book called The Eucharistic Words of Jesus. And he went through the passage in Luke and the other synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. He went through carefully and he found, I think it was two dozen different specific connections between what happens in the upper room in Luke 22 and what happened in a traditional Jewish Seder. He identified all these different connections, the blessings, the elements of bread and wine, the lamb itself. He pointed out all these different connections and stressed that this was a Seder meal of sorts. The problem with that, of course, is John specifically says it wasn't. <laughs> so it's a complicated thing. It has to do, I think, with the way things, the words that were used to describe things, different customs about dates, and the, the name of things like feasts. You know, uh, Luke tells us the Feast of Unleavened Bread is called the Passover. Uh, he, he wants us to understand that because without him saying it, we wouldn't know it. And there are other connections like that where there are different ways of naming time and different ways of describing feasts and events and activities that aren't always clear to us. We can't always pin them down. And so John actually says that rather than Jesus celebrating the Passover meal, which would have been after the lamb had been slaughtered in the temple, they would the families would take their lamb to the temple, they would uh, have it... Uh, sacrifice, and then that lamb they would bring back, prepare, and eat. But John says that actually uh, all of the sacrificing of the lambs came uh, uh, as Jesus was dying, not before, so they could have a meal the night of his Maundy Thursday, but it actually happened as he was being sacrificed. What's the difference? The timing. It's very hard to break it down. It's hard to understand the categories of time. We think of a day starting at midnight and going to midnight. Well, in the Jewish world, they, think, they thought that a day began at 6 p.m. at sunset. That's when the day began, and it ended the next day at sunrise. Uh, so the, the, the idea of times and dates was different. It went from sunrise to sunrise. That was their idea of the day. So it's, it's difficult to pin down a chronology. But you know what? That wasn't Luke's purpose. It wasn't John's purpose. They're not giving us a precise chronology. That wasn't a category that mattered very much to them. If it were, they would have given us an exact chronology. The chronologies, I promise you, are accurate. They're true. And in eternity, we'll see how they line up. I'm not going to bore you tonight with trying to break that down because the really important thing is not the chronology. The really important thing is the connection between what Jesus was doing and the Passover. That's what was important. That's what every single gospel writer described. The connection between what Jesus was doing and the Passover. 
What was the connection between what Jesus was doing and the Passover? Well, Jesus came to be the Passover. He came to be the Passover. We don't have to actually guess about that. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul, years later, describes what he had learned, what he had been taught, and what he wanted the church to understand, he actually says, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Luke wasn't concerned about a specific chronology. He was concerned that you and I understand that when Jesus gathered with his disciples for that fellowship meal, he was fulfilling everything the Passover pointed to. He came to be sacrificed for us. Paul went on to say in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.8, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul the Jew took the Jewish language describing the Passover and applies it to Christ. Paul himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul himself teaching what he had been taught. What Christ had taught Later on in Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus explains all this. And we'll talk about this on Easter Sunday in a couple of days. Here was a message that was important for them to understand and which is important for you and me to understand. Jesus came to have fellowship with his disciples, but he came to die for them. He came to be the sacrifice for them. The true perfect sacrifice, Hebrews says, that the Passover sacrifice at the temple and in the Seder meal, what that was hinting at, Jesus accomplished. He did it. We saw last Sunday, he, he came to die and he died. He knew what he was doing. He wasn't surprised. He came to do exactly what God had called him to do. He did it perfectly It was accomplished on the cross. When he died, it was finished. He accomplished it. And so he is our Passover. He is the Passover for all those who look with hope to him. Like that thief on the cross, all those who look to Jesus, even in the last moments of their life, as we look to Jesus, he is the atoning sacrifice that makes us whole, that gives us life. That's not a new understanding. That's not something a scholar dreamed up a few years ago. That's the faith of the gospel. That's that's the faith that has moved Jesus' people through the millennia to look to him and to trust him and to to find hope in him. One of my heroes... There's a man named Charles Simeon. He lived in the uh, 18th and 19th century, 1759 to 1836. He was an Anglican minister like I used to be. He pastored a church in Cambridge, England. I've been to his church. It's called Trinity, and my church was called Trinity. I've always been drawn to him, and he, he was a remarkable Bible teacher. He taught the scriptures for 50 years in his church. In the same church, he taught the Bible for 50 years through thick and thin, Whether they loved him for it or hated him for it, he taught the scriptures pointing towards Jesus. And he wrote about his coming to Christ. 
as, a, as an older man, he recorded how he came to Christ. And you know the way he came to Christ was through reflecting on the Lord's Supper, what we're going to do tonight. He came to love Jesus and to put his faith in Jesus because he read this passage we're looking at tonight when he was a young undergraduate at Cambridge University. He read this passage. He read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we'll look at in a moment as we prepare to gather at the table of the Lord Jesus. He read these passages of the Bible which talk about Christ's sacrifice for us. And he studied them and reflected on them as he got ready to receive the Lord's Supper at a particular time in his life. He was preparing and studying. And he read through the commentaries that talk about it. And he says that as he, as he began to study and reflect on the Lord's Supper, as he began to study and reflect on what Jesus had done, it became very powerful to him. And this is what he wrote. He says, What? May I transfer all my guilt to another? From that moment on, I sought to lay my sins on the sacred head of Jesus. And on the Wednesday began to have a hope of mercy. And on Maundy Thursday that hope increased. And on Good Friday and Saturday it became more strong. And on Easter Day, and it was April 4th, 1779, I awoke early with those words upon my heart and lips. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. From that hour, peace flowed in rich abundance into my soul. And at the Lord's table in our chapel, I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. It's a long time ago, but Jesus is still, through his word, drawing sinners to himself. Jesus is still fellowshipping with his people. Jesus is still applying the benefits of his sacrifice for sinners like you and me, that we might know hope, that we might know access to God through Jesus. And that's what this meal is all about. It's about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's pointing us, it's reminding us what Jesus has done for us. It's not a ritual or ceremony. By itself, it's fellowship with him and with his people. It's remembering all that Christ has done. As we gather at his table in just a moment, the bread that we will eat, as Jesus tells us, is to remind us of his body broken for us. The, the fruit of the vine, which we will share. The, the Hebrew word in the description of what you do on Passover was yayin, it was wine, but the idea is the fruit of the vine. We use grape juice here tonight, but it's the same idea. It's to remind us of Jesus's blood poured out for us. May that fill your heart and my heart with gratitude and praise.